Okay, y'all win. Y'all beat 930, hands down. Right, good work. Thanks, Joe. Hey, we are, uh, I mean, just had this question. Have you, ever, have you ever just been in a season where it seemed like you had a battle every, every corner you turned? Right, it just seemed like every time you turned a corner, there was some obstacle in front of you. I mean, I had a season like that. It was a period of two years where I just seemed to have obstacles everywhere I turned. You know, it, it kind of started off with um, my stepfather passed away. My stepfather was in his mid-60s, died unexpectedly of a pulmonary embolism. And we loved him deeply. He was great to my, grand, to my kids, his grandkids. And so it was such a, it was such a heartbreak and a, such a shot for us. And then my wife's grandmother passed away. She was in her 90s, so a little more expected. However, she was kind of helped raise my, my, my wife. And so for her to pass away, it was traumatic and it was sad. It was just rough. And then my youngest son was involved in a near-fatal accident. And all these happened just in my own personal life. And then here at the church, um, I officiated three funerals just a few months after these events happened. I officiated the funeral of a two-year-old year old who was tragically killed in a home accident. Um, I officiated the funeral for a 42-year-old father of two who died unexpectedly of a heart attack while mowing the grass in his front yard. I, uh, I officiated the funeral of an 11-year-old son of a single dad who was on vacation. They were on vacation together, and he went to check on him because he had slept late and to find out that he had passed away in the middle of the night from a congenital heart defect that no one even knew that he had. And it was a, it was, it was a difficult time. And then that was about the time of the recession, and you had uh, you know, people losing their homes and losing their jobs. You had the belt tightening that happens with that and the difficult personnel decisions that comes along with that. And then, and then you have some of those little minor, minor battles that you have in life, you know. Um, some of you have experienced those. About that time, right in that same time period, there was a hailstorm, and I needed a new roof on my house. And yes, the insurance company paid for part of it, but I had a deductible to meet. And then, you know, there was that kind of rite of passage that happens in every family with teenagers when one of my teenage drivers backed into my car at the end of the driveway and ripped the front end right off of that. And then, to top it all off, one of my middle school boys didn't make the basketball team. Oh, it was tragic. Calgon, take me away. And I think some of us have been through seasons like that. I wonder what battle you're facing this week. Like, what battle did you face this week? Like what obstacle popped up you didn't see coming? What, what continued problem you can't seem to solve? For some people, maybe it was just this battle for ang- over anxiety. Maybe you struggle with anxiety in your life. Maybe that you wake up in the morning and just this uncertainty about the day and what's going to happen and questions that need to get answered and decisions that need to get made and how can I, you can't see the future and you struggle with this anxiety. It's just this battle that you're struggling with. Maybe it was a battle of depression. You know, maybe you wake up in the morning and you just want to pull the covers over your heads and just let the day go away. And if you didn't have to see anybody, that would be a great day for you. You know, for some of you, it could be a battle for your marriage. It could be that you're just in the midst of kind of conflict and chaos. And you said, you remember that when you made your vows till death do us part, you feel like maybe you're at that point and you just are struggling in your marriage. Maybe some of you parents are struggling in the battle with your kids. You know, maybe it's a financial battle or maybe it's a health battle a health crisis battle for you. Like, I wonder what your battle is, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. God wants to be with you in your battle. God wants to be with you in your battle. One of the things we see over and over again in the Bible is that God wants to be with us in our battles. God wants to show up to fight for us and to fight with us. You know, there's a one, one of the early 
earliest times in the Bible we see that is in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see this verse um, where the nation of Israel is going into the land. They're going to take the promised land. And God tells them, don't be in dread or be afraid of them, meaning the enemy. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. God will fight for you. God will fight with you. Man, God wants to take your anxiety and turn it into peace. God wants to take your depression, wants to take your depression and turn it into hope. He wants to take your fear and turn it into confidence this morning. This is what God is up to in our life. The question is not, does God want to fight for me? The question is, how? Like, how does this happen? Like, if God's fighting for me, that, that's great, Stephen, but, but how does this look? Because I'm the one who has to answer the phone calls. I'm the one who has to write the check to pay the bills. I'm the one who has to make the decision. I'm the one who has to have the hard conversation. Like, like what does that even mean for God to fight for me? And here's the reality. Worship, worship is what brings God into your battle. Worship brings God into your battle. When we begin to worship God, when we turn our affection and our attention towards God, worship actually brings him into our battle. Like, wouldn't you love for God to show up in your battle today? Like, do you think you may have a better chance of winning? That's always good. We like to win. And God wants to show up in the midst of your battle. The God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who wants you to have victory in your life. God wants to be in the battle with you. How can we make this happen in our lives on a practical and tactical level? So we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and get there. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Now, just as a, as a uh, uh, just kind of a confession here, like, I, worship isn't always my go-to, okay? Like, when I have a problem, something happens, I don't, I don't just stop and say, hey, let me sing just a minute. Hold on just a second. Like, that's not, sometimes it feels like it should be extra. Sometimes it's like, hey, let's just roll our hands, our sleeves up and get this thing done. Like, let's just make this happen. Like, but in the Bible, what we see is that 50 times God commands us to sing. Like, not option. Hey, if you feel like it, if you like the lyrics, if the band's good, like, it's none of that. It's like God commands us to sing to him. And if God commands us to sing to him, then we probably should be a little curious about why that is. Because it's not like God needs our encouragement. Am I right? Like, God didn't wake up and say, wow, that Syria thing didn't seem that happen. I feel a little down today. Could you sing to me, please, and lift my spirits a little bit? You know, it's not like God needs our encouragement. But what we know is that something powerful happens when we worship, and it brings God into our battle. Now, in our story for today in 2 Chronicles, there's a king named Jehoshaphat. I would love to make you say that after me, but it may, may, may be a big fail. Um, Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good king. There's bad kings and good kings. Jehoshaphat actually turns the nation's heart back to God. They had turned away from God. They had built all these other altars to worship other gods. And so Jehoshaphat shows up, and Jehoshaphat wants to turn the nation back to God. And here's what we see in, the, in chapter 19, verse 3. It says, there's a a man of God speaking to Jehoshaphat, and he says, Some good is found in you. Well, that's great. Thank you for the compliment. Some good is found in you, Jehoshaphat. You destroyed the Asherah. That's a, that would be an altar to another god, okay? <clears throat> an idol altar. You destroyed the Asherah out of the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. Okay, so now Jehoshaphat, the king, has decided to follow God with the whole nation, right? He's doing the right things. And wouldn't you expect that now his life's going to go better? 
Wouldn't you expect that you know, some things that were problems won't be problems anymore? It's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. I mean, he is going to church. He is giving generously. He is volunteering. Whatever thing you could think of that would be, mean being a good person, this is what he's doing. He is doing the right thing. Now watch what happens to the king. It says, after this, after he'd made these decisions to follow God, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites that came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. Now, when it says great multitude here, it, it's estimated there are two million soldiers coming. Okay, that's the size of China's current standing army. Like, this is massive. So, again, the picture, he's decided to follow God. Now he's staring in the face of two million soldiers. They're from beyond the sea, and they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. A fast just means you do without something, right? It doesn't mean you ran fast. It means you stopped, and you stopped doing something to get your attention fully focused on God. So he proclaimed this fast, fast and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So, so you have on the front end Je Jehoshaphat doing the right thing. But then you see that in the midst of that, he goes into battle. And I think there's a lot of times if we don't recognize that, that following Christ doesn't make our lives easier all the time. Have you noticed this, for those of you who follow Jesus? That sometimes when you begin to follow Jesus, you still encounter battles. You know, there's this vein of theology called prosperity theology. Anybody heard of that? Like some of you, I'm going to tell you, and you're like, I want, I want, I want that. Um, but basically what it would say is, hey, you give $100, God's going to give you another amount larger than that, like $1,000. That if you follow God, you're going to be healthy. Like if you just trust God, then all your problems are going to go away. You will be happy. Now, the problem with that theology is the Bible. Um, because what we see is even today when you see Jehoshaphat decide to follow Jesus, he enters into a battle. And listen, if we don't understand that life is a battle, we'll misunderstand most of what happens in our life. Listen, if you don't understand that your life is a battle, that this is what's happening, it's a battleground, not a playground, you'll misunderstand most of what happens in your life. You'll misunderstand a lot about yourself because what you'll believe is that you did something wrong. What you'll believe is that you get if you get sick or you have a financial downturn, it's like, must be some sin in my life, something that I've done wrong. You'll begin to live this defeated life, not the victory that God has for you. You'll begin to kind of fall away. You'll begin to just withdraw in life because something's wrong with you. You have no confidence at all. And let me just tell you, if you're going through that kind of battle right now, it's not your fault, right? God doesn't hold that against you. You're not sick because you're a bad person. We'll misunderstand what happens. We'll misunderstand our lives. You'll misunderstand God. Like if we don't understand that there's this battleground, what we'll begin to believe when we face difficult times and we face the battle, what will happen is that we'll look at God and say, hey, you're holding out on me. Or you're not good. Or we'll say, God, I don't even, I don't even think you exist. We can't misunderstand the world that we live in. In John chapter 16, Jesus said it this way. I've said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble, battle. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now the word for overcome literally means victory in battle. This is what Jesus offers us. And now the battle that we face is different than what Jehoshaphat faces. Like we're not going to walk out the door and there's going to be two million soldiers outside the door. I don't think, right? Unless something's happening I don't know about. 
that's not going to be what's out there. That's not what you're going to face Monday morning. Because the battle you face is not against flesh and blood. The battle you face is a spiritual battle. And so we see in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. So we walk according to the flesh. Man, the, the senses that we have, I can see it, I can smell it, I can taste it, I can hear it, um, I can feel it. We walk that way, but that's not how we battle. The weapons are, are, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Listen, it takes spiritual weapons to fight a spiritual battle. It takes spiritual weapons to fight a spiritual battle. This is why worship brings God into the battle. Worship is a spiritual weapon that helps us fight spiritual battles. If you don't understand this, listen, you're going to be in the middle of a marriage conflict, and you're going to be fighting in your marriage, not for your marriage. You're going to think your spouse is the enemy. You're going to think that you have to be right. You have to get things right. You have to protect yourself. And that is not the battle you're fighting. Don't mistake that today. Like your financial battle, it's not a battle against the bank or your boss or your income. The battle that you're facing today is a bigger battle than that. We have to recognize that the battles we face are spiritual battles. And just because we do good doesn't mean we're not going to face battle because this is the world that we live in. And Jehoshaphat finds himself in this, in this, in this battle. It's not just a problem to be solved, but it's a battle to be fought. Then as this, the story continues on in verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, Lord, God of, your, of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'm not looking at those two million soldiers. My eyes are on you. This is why the series is called Stop and Stare. Because what worship does is it puts our eyes on God and out of our circumstances. And it invites God into this spiritual battle. The thing that we see Jehoshaphat do right here is just standing in faith. Man, he, just, he just stands in faith. You know, it says that God is going to fight for them. So they kind of expect that, that God's going to fight for them. But, but God is telling them, you got, you got to stand firm in your faith. you got to just kind of be entrenched in your faith. Don't, don't be saying like, what if? What if this goes wrong? What if God doesn't come through? But stand firm in the faith. You know, there's a, a verse in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about without faith it's impossible to please God. Such a simple first part of that verse. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. Like if something's impossible with God, don't you want to avoid that? Like if something's going to be impossible, like that's the thing I'm not doing. So what he's saying is you should never not have faith. So some of you English teachers don't like that, do you? Never not have faith. Got some double negatives going on right there. But it makes sense. We should never not have faith. We should never not believe that God is good for us. We should never not believe that he wants what's best for us. We should never not believe that God loves us. Those are the people that he rewards. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't like to do things that I know are impossible on the front end. Do you? Anything that's impossible, you won't even try it. So we have to learn what this kind of faith is. And here's part of the battle. The part of the battle is just having faith, isn't it? Part of the battle is just believing that God is good. Part of the battle is just trying to hang on in the midst of a difficult time when, things, when the things that we see are not for us. There's a great example of this in the New Testament with Jesus 
Some of Jesus' followers are praying over this man's son. And this man's son is sick and uh, verge of death, all that, and th- nothing's happening. So Jesus comes on the scene. And, and the man, this, this poor dad, looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you want, if you can, make my son well. If you can. And Jesus says, if I can, if you believe. And the man says this, purest statement of faith in the Bible. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. So what he's saying is like, I believe, but I still have some unbelief. I want to believe and I want, I'm fighting for it. I'm hanging in there. I'm talking to myself. I'm praying. I'm doing the things. I'm trying to stand firm, but help me where the gaps exist. And this is the kind of faith we have to have. God, this is what worship does. God, I believe that you're good. I know that you're God. I'm having trouble right now. I don't see how you're working in the middle of this, but I want to stand firm in my faith. Like if you want to win some battles and invite God into your battles, stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. It doesn't mean you have this over-spiritualized confidence. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Shut up, right? Like there's some cliches that we use that we think are faithful when inside our heart is crushed underneath the weight of the battle. Man, just stand firm in the faith. Just repeat the things. Worship God. Now, he goes on. Jehoshaphat goes on. He said, listen, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is one of the prophets that's speaking. This is what God says to you. Don't be afraid. Even though it looks like you should be. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed at this great horde, all these people. For the battle is not yours, but God. Don't ever forget that. The battle is not yours, but it's God's. Continuing on, it said, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah, everybody in Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Right? This was their go-to. Times of struggle and fear and uncertainty. In times of certain destruction, honestly, they worship God. The Levites, now the Levites were the, the priestly class. They're kind of like the pastors, right? The Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites, those are the worship leaders. That's the guitar players, the keyboard player, the drummer, all those things, the conga players, the tambourine players, all that, right? They stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And then it goes on. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and to praise him in holy attire, I think that's where choir robes came from right there. Holy attire. Y'all didn't like that? Come on, you Presbyterians, help me out right now. Holy attire as they went before the army. Wait, 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 hold on a minute. They went before the army. Like the, the singers in their choir robes, they went first. Now, was this because Jehoshaphat didn't like them and wanted to get them out of the way? Or was there a purpose behind this? They began to sing, give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. When they began to sing and praise the Lord, set set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. This is all the enemies that were coming against them, the two million. So that they were routed. The men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They devoted them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. So in the midst of this battle, these two million soldiers coming against, the worship leaders go first, the singers, the musicians, they go first. They begin to praise God. And the armies that were coming against God turn on each other and kill each other. And the nation of Israel didn't have to do anything but just stand and watch. Like, I don't know about you, but like, 
and we talked a little bit about this last week. If I've got a battle going, like the first person I'm putting up front is not Justin Bieber. Okay? It's not how that works. I'm looking for like Mike Tyson with a tattoo on his face. That's who I want leading the charge. But they send the worshipers because they knew that worshiping God is what brings God into your battle. This is the principle we see in Scripture because it points to God and shows us how much we value him, how much we believe in him, how much we trust him and are depending on him. When we lead God, let God lead us into worship. It's a little bit like this to me. Um, how, how many parents are in the room today? So I've got a handful. Awesome. So, so, you know, if you're a parent, maybe you're at somebody's house with some friends and, you know, your kids are over and they're playing with your friend's kids and maybe they're in the next room and maybe you're sitting around the kitchen table or outside doing something and you hear your kid crying. It doesn't matter how many other kids are crying. You hear your kid crying. You know it's yours, don't you? You know their voice. You know if they're actually hurt or just mad by the tone. You know your child's voice. If they're in a crowded uh, stadium full of people and they all get separated and you're listening intently because when you hear your child, what are you doing? You're showing up. You're getting there quick. That's what's happening. And this is what worship does. And when we lift our voices to God as we sing together, God's like, all right, I'm coming. Hey, help is on the way. I'm going to be with you in your battle. And we sing, man, we sing into the victory that God has for us. A couple examples of that in the Bible that are pretty crazy. A couple of the greatest warriors in the Bible. One of them was King David. And he, he, you remember the David killing Goliath story? You guys remember that story? David is a teenager and he kills Goliath. Like for most guys and, and a lot of ladies too, if we could be one person in the Bible because we can't be Jesus, David would be our pick. Man, David just seemed to have it together. Man, David always seemed to win the battle. David got picked to be king. You know, he got to do all the cool stuff. He got to kill Goliath. Like, that just seems like the guy. Now, the reason why David, and, well, and David turns out to be a great warrior, there's a whole chapter in the Bible devoted to all of his victories. 22,000 people, 10,000 people, 30,000 people. All the victories in all the countries he conquered. And the reason why, the reason why David was such a great warrior, it's because he's a great worshiper. Don't miss this. David wasn't a great worshiper because he won the battles. David was a great, won the battles because he was a great worshiper. David wrote most of the book of Psalms, the, whole, the hymn book of ancient Israel. This was David's role. Man, in 1 Samuel, we see this description of David. And they're talking, this is, as they're about to pick him to be king. It says, I have seen a son of Jesse, this is David, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, so he's a musician, a man of valor, so he's got integrity and honor. He's a man of war. He can kill you. He's prudent in speech. He's really smart. He's a man of good presence. I mean, he's good looking. He's kind of like Joe Baker. He's good looking right there. And the Lord is with him. This is why the Lord was with him. There's this cool story about, J about David after they win this battle and they're coming back into the city and they're having this parade. And you know how when, for instance, sports teams will have big parades if they win, um, if they win like the world championship. I know in Atlanta we don't want to think about that. But in other cities, they do this thing. And so what happens is, man, there's this big parade. Well, this is what's happening. David and his soldiers have won the battle and they have this, they're marching in this parade back into the city and there's this, and so David's kind of leading the charge and David is getting his worship on. David is worshiping so much so like some of his clothes are coming off and it's kind of rowdy. It's a little bit special, you know, and his wife's watching. His wife is watching. She was not happy with David. And so David comes in and she's like, my, 
how the king distinguished himself in front of all the young maidens today. And he's like, oh yeah? Guess what? Next time, I'll even do more than that. The clothes that didn't come off will come off next time, if that's what it means to worship. David was a great warrior, because David was a great worshiper. And if we want to win the battles of life, we got, we got to learn this. Man, we got to, we got to lean into this. This has to be our natural go-to at times. We have to learn what it means to worship God. You know, but it, it's easy in those situations where you win to worship. Like, like when things are going good, man, God's so good. How you doing, man? So good. God's just so good. Blessed beyond what I deserve. And we can, we can pile up all the cliches. It's hard to worship God in the battle. Man, it's hard to worship God when things aren't going well. When things are dark, you feel alone, and there's uncertainty. You don't see a way out. It's hard. You know, the other, we talked about David, another guy in the New Testament, a guy named Paul. Paul, the greatest missionary in the New Testament, wrote a lot of the uh, New Testament part of the Bible. And Paul, um, man, finds himself in prison. He's following Jesus. He's following as good as he can. And, man, he's doing so much good work. He's starting churches. And, and Paul finds himself in prison. He's in a Roman prison. Now, now Rome was known to be extremely violent. Man, they were a very, very, very very um, uh, violent society, violent culture, and they tried to keep people in line. And, and the way prisons worked in that, in that culture was when a soldier aged out of the military, they got as a gift a prison to run. And so Paul finds himself in this Roman prison where he's locked in the stockades and he's in a very uncomfortable position. And he's kind of bent over and he finds himself locked and he's with Silas and he, he begins to worship. He begins to sing hymns to God. Watch what happens in the book of Acts. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Man, their worship prompted God into action. And I wonder today, and in your battle, and what feels like chains holding you back, what feels like imprisonment and confinement and darkness, if worship isn't the step for you to experience the presence of God, to prompt his power to come through for you in your life. Man, man it's hard to say at times how we get in prisons, how we get in, in, how we get in bondage. You know, for your addiction, you may not remember the first time you tried it or how the road went for you to be addicted, but now you just know you're there. Man, when you walk down a road of conflict, you don't even remember who started it and why it got started, but now you find yourself in this battle that you're facing. It doesn't really matter how you got there. Worship is the way out. Worship is the way out. We see Jehoshaphat just praise God to put the singers up front first. Now, now, the reason why this is so important is that what happens through worship is it puts my eyes on Jesus. When I worship God, it, it actually puts my eyes on Jesus. As we talked about in the passage, you say, our eyes are on you. And in the midst of a busy week, in the midst of the battles that we face Monday through Sunday, they don't just stop, do they, on Sunday? Have you noticed that? Some of you faced some battles this morning just getting here, didn't you? And, and in the midst of that, we have to learn to recalibrate and reorient our lives around what's important. You know, if you, do, if you do any self-development and they talk about how you get things done, one of the things you do every single week is you just kind of reorient and you just have a time where you sit down and you plan out the next week. Let's just sit down and plan it out. And part of what worship does, it just helps us to sit down and reorient around 
the person who can actually win the battle for us. And we need to be reminded of that. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 55. And it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says God. So God does not think like us. Does anybody find that a comfort? God is so much smarter than we are. Like he knows how a beam of light flows through your iris to the back of your retina and hits your optic nerve and goes to your brain and forms an image. Like God knows that. God knows the electrical impulses that are happening in your heart right now that keep it beating. God knows that. He knows what's happening in outer space. God knows what's happening with the ocean. You know what? God knows about the impeachment process. God knows. His thoughts are not like ours. God knows that beyond this battle, there's a victory. God knows that around the curve, there's some freedom. God knows because his thoughts aren't like ours. Neither are his ways our ways. Because when we think about fighting battles, we are so limited in how we see them. We're limited in how we fight them. But God's not because his ways aren't like ours. Who else? Who else? Who else would send their son to die for us to save the whole world? Nobody in this room, certainly not me, but God did. And look at the transformation that happens. And look at the hope that we have. Thank God his ways aren't like my ways. Man, his ways are not my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. And so we know that, hey, listen, God's smarter than us. We should want him to fight our battles. Hey, God is stronger than we are. Have you noticed this? Like Jesus calms a storm, peace be still. Anybody do that this week? Right? Anybody do that? Anybody calm a storm? Anybody raise somebody from the dead? Anybody cure cancer this week? Anybody, anybody feel like they're stronger? Like God is so much stronger than we, we are. His ways are above our ways. And listen, Jesus' name is the only name that Satan runs from. All right, it's about to get heavy. Jesus' name is the only name that Satan runs from. There's a story about Paul in the, in the New Testament. And Paul has, um, this is actually uh, right after I think he got out of prison. But Paul encounters a demon-possessed man. And when he encounters a demon-possessed man, you're like, Stephen, does that still happen? Yes, it happens all the time. Like I met somebody at Walmart the other day, demon-possessed, stole my parking spot. Um, <laughs> demon-possessed. And so Paul would perform what's an exorcism by praying the name of Jesus over them. Well, there were some, some other guys that saw Paul do this. They're like, that looks like fun. Let us try that. We'll get famous We'll get rich. And so they come up to this demon-possessed man, and they try to cast the demon out of this demon-possessed man. And this is what happens. It says, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, okay? The demon, it's clear the demons know Jesus. And Paul I recognize. Why? Because Paul follows Jesus, okay? But who are you? Let me just tell you. If you're in the middle of an exorcism and a demon says that to you, you need to go the other way, Okay? It's time to run, because watch what happens. The man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. In other words, beat them up. There's a lot of good jokes there. Mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Have you ever been beat up so bad all your clothes came off? Like, that's what happens. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. At the name of Jesus, we have victory. And when we, when we put our eyes on Jesus, it's amazing how we begin to gain new perspective. And the way that we put our eyes on Jesus is through worship. There's a really cool story about a lady named Corey Ten Boom. 
I don't know if any of you have heard of Corey Tim Boom. This is her back um, during the, the Holocaust years, right? She, Corey Tim Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Corey Tim Boom and her family hid and helped 800 Jews escape Nazi prisons and concentration camps and to get them into freedom. You can see this is her obviously uh, older years, and this is the trap door to the place where they would hide Jews from the Nazis. Corey Ten Boom finds herself in a concentration camp. And she finds herself, because of all the help they've been given her and her sister and her mom, she gets released from a concentration camp. And she finds out later that three weeks after she was released, it was on clerical error. Three weeks after she was released, everybody in her age group who would have been in her where she was staying, they all were put in the gas chamber. Corey Ten Boom is a hero. And Corey Ten Boom said this about God's presence. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Now, that's somebody who's facing pretty significant battles. But she always kept her eyes focused on Jesus. Like, where are you focused today? Where are you focused today? Where have you stopped believing that God wants to come through for you? Man, where have you given up? Maybe it's in an area of your life that you've just kind of pushed off to the side. You don't want to think about it or talk about it because you feel like it's over. Put your eyes on Jesus today. Don't, don't, don't look at that anymore. And what, what happens when we worship is it puts our eyes on Jesus. The other thing it does is music unites people. Have you noticed this? Music unites people. Whenever you sing together with people, it kind of gives you a common vision, a common direction, common affection for something, a common purpose. That's why the national anthem can be so polarizing is because when we sing it, we're all patriots, but when someone else gets on a knee and tries to not engage in it, that it feels like it just makes it so polarizing for us. That's why it's so polarizing is because we believe and we're trying to go in the same direction. And so what happens when we sing together is, man, our, our hearts are united. And when we sing together, they've, psychologists have discovered that literally our hearts become synchronized physically. Isn't that crazy that God's designed us that way? But not only are our hearts uh, synchronized physically, our hearts are synchronized spiritually. Man, we, we begin to have a common vision and we begin to have a common direction. You know, we do some things in my house sometimes to create traditions that are a little silly, but it does kind of bond us together. And one of our traditions is so funny that whenever uh, the song Drops of Jupiter comes on, everybody heard Drops of Jupiter by Train? Old, old, old song. I know that. But whenever it would come on, my kids were smaller. No matter what temperature it was outside, they would all look at each other and they knew what to do. We'd roll our windows down, all of them, and we would sing at the top of our lungs the whole song. Man, and we, it didn't matter if we were going down the interstate or if we had a stop sign uh, where a lot of people could hear us singing. We would sing at the top of our lungs because we knew that's just what we do. And it's just been this memory that we've had. And it just kind of even today when it happens and they're in the car with me and we'll be driving and the song comes on, they'll, they, won't, they won't roll their windows down anymore. And so I put the parent lock on and I roll it down for them. Now they roll it down and we just sing at the top of our lungs because it's just, it's one of those things that we talk about and we talk about doing that and the times we've done that and the times it was cold and the times when people hurt us, the times that people looked at us like we were crazy. There's something about locking arms together in worship. Listen, when you worship in a room like this, when we come together to worship, here's what we're saying. It's like, hey, you may need some help today. 
You, I don't know what battle you're facing, but I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to know there's someone with you in this battle today. And listen, as a church, we have so much to accomplish. We have so much in front of us. There are so many people who are struggling with, addict- with addiction, so many people under the cloud of depression, so many people in the straitjacket of anxiety, so many marriages that are on the brink of disaster. Man, we have so many addictions. We have so, many, so much darkness. We have so many people who are contemplating suicide that we have so much in front of us. We, we have to worship together so that we have a common heartbeat for the vision that God has called us to. There's another generation coming behind us and we need to pass along to them a faith that can last, a faith that can help them fight their battles. So that's how we're going to close our service out today is we're going to close out our service just by worshiping today. I just want to ask you today, do you have a battle you need God to step into? Like what if this is the today God gets into your battle? Not just a battle, not just a battle for the nation of Israel, not just a battle for your neighbor, but your battle. What if God gets in the middle of that battle with you today? What would that look like? What if today was a day that you learned, you learned how to fight your battles? Let's pray together. So just as we just kind of settle our hearts in to prepare our hearts to worship, I know there's some here this morning that you've, you, you don't know Jesus and you don't have this ability to get God into your battle. That You've heard about him, you've talked about him, you've thought about him, but you've never made a decision to follow him. That's how you get God to begin to fight your battles. That's how you begin worship. That is the first step of worship. And if that's you today, if you never just make this commitment to surrender your life to God, to say, I'm gonna be, a, my life's gonna be about you, God. It's not gonna be about me. I'm gonna put my eyes on Jesus. Today's the day that I wanna help you do that. I'm just gonna lead you in a very short prayer that's just a commitment of your heart that you would follow God today begin to let him fight the battles for you. So if you would, just, just in your own heart, just pray after me. Dear God, thank you for fighting my battles. Forgive me for my sin and where I've tried to do things my own way. Thanks for sending Jesus to be the forgiveness for my sin. I trust you to be in the battle with me today. You know, and the Bible says that if that's been the desire of your heart, man, that God's with you in the battle, that there is a God and he is good. He is with you in the battle. And here's what I want to do just to help you mark that moment this morning, just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed before we worship, man, I just want to help you. Uh, I just want to help you make a, help mark the moment. And I'm just going to count to three. And when I say three, I'm just going to ask you just lift your hand in the air, just in the symbol of victory today, victory over your past, victory over your battles, victory for your future battles. I'm just going to count to three. And if that's you who prayed that, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand in the air. One, two, three. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. God, thank you that no matter who we are, you, you're always in the battle with us. And then God, in a room like this, with as, ma- as many battles as we individually face, God, that as we turn our eyes towards you, God, and as we worship you, that God, today would be the day that you begin to get in the battles with those of us who need you in the battle with us, that we wouldn't feel alone, we wouldn't feel unequipped, we wouldn't feel weak, we wouldn't feel worried, but God, today we would feel strong, we'd know that you are with us, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you would, let's stand together, and let's begin the battle.